This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition. A little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder. With me is our researcher and storyteller, Paula Schleiss. Hey, everybody. Steve, have you ever driven down to Knoxville to see your brother and passed Big Bone Lick in Kentucky? You know, I wouldn't know, but probably because I do... (laughs) Travel down that way. I cannot drive past that place without chuckling. You see these big signs saying, you know, turn off here for Big Bone Lick. I have always been fascinated by how some places get their names. You know, there are a lot of towns that are named after people who founded them or they're named after cities where the settlers came from. And, of course, in Ohio, lots of Indian names. But for some communities, the origin of their names is a complete mystery. Like knock 'em stiff. Oh, yes. Knock 'em stiff. Knock 'em stiff. It's at a corner of Huntington Township in Ross County in south central Ohio. Nobody seems to know when this place got its start. It's a hamlet, one of those little crossroads where people settle down hoping to grow into a village one day, but they never quite make it. And then the community all but disappears leaving behind just memories and the name. And, you know, as long as there are people to remember it. The earliest I could find Knock'em Stiff referenced in the news was a 1912 edition of the Chillicothe Gazette. It's, it's close to Chillicothe. It was a column where the newspaper was listing what local residents were up to, and they mentioned that a local farmer was moving to Knock'em Stiff Pike. So this is the first time you can see it recorded? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's the okay. first time. I don't think this was um old... 19th century town. I think it got its name a little bit later. Okay. But the last time I found it referenced was just last year. I mean, people are still listing Knock'em Stiff as their hometown in their obituaries. Do they use Pike today or no? Uh, no. Okay. No. Pike, I think, referenced some kind of a road, but they don't use that term anymore. Okay. Here are some wonderful directions from a 1934. Dayton Daily News article, which started its journey to Knock'em Stiff by looking for a hill in Ohio's Appalachia country. And then, as the directions go, you just have to set your eye on that peak and take the road that seems to carry you on its way. It takes you into the yard of the honest black farmer with the white chickens, who sends you around because no man can drive across. 
It takes you down a road with thank you, ma'ams, as frequent as if this were Tennessee, past log houses a hundred years old and with not much longer to live. It takes you where you ford the streams and shut your eyes to keep from falling off the hills. Then, a while before you come to the farmhouse with its fat persimmons on the foot of the first of your peaks, you will find Knock'em Stiff. And you have to wear ruby slippers and click your heels three times, right? Yes. (laughs) Hey, no boring GPS needed here, okay? But our mystery, where did it get its name? So the Dayton article with that colorful direction gave this tell. Long ago, the new minister was driving a narrow gully with its row of houses when a child ran from the house and into the road almost under his horse's hooves. Come in here and out of the way, his mother screamed from the door, or I'll knock you stiff. The minister, a man of humor as well as piety, christened the village in the gully on the spot. But other sources tell other tales. One is that a big fight broke out when the community was born, and the settlers thought it was an appropriate name. Another is that a preacher stopped a fight between two women over a mutual romantic interest by telling them to join forces and knock the two-timer stiff. (laughs) A fourth explanation is that the name came from the area's prolific moonshining. Those moonshiners kept everyone liquored up and in a state of constant brawling, the story goes. I'm going to vote for that one because if ever a place has earned its name, it's Knock'em Stiff. Its history is filled with drunken brawls and not your run-of-the-mill variety. In the 1920s, the folks living next door to Knock'em Stiff insisted authorities step in because the little community church there was always ending its service by sending its members, adult and children alike, out its doors fully intoxicated. <laughs> Yeah, at one point they even arrested two men, Al Johnson and William Penrod, for furnishing the church with wine that exceeded legal alcohol limits. And they even found a 12-year-old boy named Floyd Johnson who gave testimony that he always left the church drunk. The spirited services of Knock'em Stiff Community Church didn't end. In 1930, a church brawl led to the arrest of a dozen men. And even that case took a strange turn when Constable William Newland, who had made several of the arrests, was himself arrested for arresting the arrestees. So he was impersonating an officer? He was impersonating an officer. (laughs) You see, Newland had once been deputized to keep order during a two-week-long revival held at the church. And apparently, he thought that temporary designation gave him special powers. Because long after the brawlers had paid their fines or made bail, the guy who had arrested them was still in jail awaiting his fate. Those knock'em stiff folks never failed to surprise. In 1924, the local court was trying to dissect the case of Nellie Johnson, who was accused by Lena Daly of assaulting her through the use of witchcraft and secret spells. <laughs> Heck, even the kids in knock'em stiff were a tough lot. A 1928 story told of how the juvenile courtroom was crowded with residents attending the hearing of a boy who had led an invasion of youths into the home of a Nakamstiff family after the parents left to attend the church. For some reason, the parents had left their children behind. My guess is they just wanted to keep their kids sober. So the kids right. are over alone, and these other kids 
break into the house and terrorize these poor kids. Wow. So you're being parents of the year and not. Yes, <laughs> by them. not taking your kids to church. <laughs> and they're getting terrorized. And they're getting at terrorized. And, you know, and it seems even like good intentions turn bad once they cross the border of Knock'em Did you ever hear of a belling party? No. No, I hadn't either. I, the best I can figure it out is back in the day, friends of newlyweds would just show up at their residence, ring the doorbell, and when they opened it, they would just pour into the house with liquor and food and create an instant party. Hmm. Actually, it sounds like a very annoying practice. Anyway, in 1935, a group of people formed to throw two belling parties back-to-back for some knock-em-stiff newlyweds. Leading the charge were brothers-in-law Harvey Easterday and James Cheney. Now, the first belling party at the home of Mr. and Mrs. Orville Atwood went okay, as far as I can tell. But, you know, they probably had a lot to drink there. Yeah, they probably liquored up <laughs> yeah, by then for the second they're working one. up. So then the party headed over to the home of Joe Johnson and his new bride. Now, James Cheney is driving, and his brother-in-law, Harvey Easterday, is walking. So James makes it to the house first, only to find the Johnsons aren't home. When Harvey arrives, he accuses his brother-in-law of warning the newlyweds ahead of the invasion and proceeded to beat him over the head with the butt of a shotgun until his skull was fractured. You warned them, James. (laughs) I wanted to party more. Here's what I think. If you think that somebody might have been warning a household that you were coming, then they probably deserve to be warned about (laughs) you. Anyway, Cheney, he was semi-conscious for a week. And news reports said the entire town of Knock'em I don't know how big that was, probably a couple hundred people, they showed up for Easter Day's trial on a charge of assault with intent to kill. That was the charge. And he was found guilty. And guess what he got? Um, life in prison? <laughs> this is Knock'em Stiff, okay? The judge sent him home, gave him probation, and said he had six kids at home and he needed to go home and take care of them. Okay, that's so, good. So there you go. The colorful stories about Knock'em Stiff, yeah, they slowly faded away in time. In 1949, a ch- I'm saying this with a ch- tongue-in-cheek, a Chillicothe Gazette story reported that the town was now pretty quiet, mostly due to that to the fact that the town was so intermarried that it was one big happy oh, family. No. So, there you go. Steve, hey, you want to take a guess at what you're called if you come from Knock'em Stiff? Um, Knock'em Stifer? Stiffer. Stifer? Thought you was a trick question. <laughs> it's you're a Knock'em Stiffer. Okay, so since we opened the topic, how about just a few more quick stories about some interesting Ohio place names that I found? I got uh, most of these from the 1959 book, Ohio Town Names by William Overman. In Knox County, there was the community of Squeal. And reportedly, the early settlement included some German farmers who became so alarmed at the sound of the first locomotive squealing through town that they armed themselves, found the source of the scary noise, and tore up the tracks. The the community was later renamed Ankeny Town, but a lot of people still remember the name of Squeal. I'd hate to be that first train going down that track. I know. And then, okay, in Crawford County, we have Broken Sword. 
According to tradition, Colonel William Crawford was facing off with Indians when he plunged his sword into the bank of a creek there and broke it off so he wouldn't be killed with his own weapon. The Indians burned him at the stake instead. Oh. I think I probably would rather have been, yeah. 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 In Portage County, there's bloody corners. Now, this place had earned its name in the early 1800s, very early. Apparently, there had been some kind of fight at the spot that had painted the snow red with blood. But the exact cause of the fight is unknown. This is, uh, this is something that I mentioned to you before, where I was camping up in, uh, I was camping at the West Branch. And oh, did you mention posted, Bloody Corners? Yeah, I posted something from Facebook, and it said, in Bloody Corners. There you go. And I'm like, I'm camping at Bloody Corners? <laughs> yes. And that was already a scary place to be camping anyway. So, uh, Okay, in Hardin County, Jumbo. Do you know who Jumbo was? Is That's the elephant, right? Yeah, P.T. Barnum's uh, big, uh, biggest elephant on earth. Huh. Well, the town, in 1885, there was a storekeeper trying to get a post office for the community, and they needed a name. And at the time, the newspapers were reporting that Jumbo had just died. The animal had been killed in Canada by a railway train. So he thought, well, let's commemorate him. He called the community Jumbo and got the post office. How about... Kinnikinnick. No. I love Sounds saying. Sounds like a river. Kinnikinnick. I love it. That one's in Ross County. Actually, it's just an Indian word. It, it's a term that refers to a mixture of tobacco with red willow. Mm, okay. But a definitely cool name. Uh, river Sticks. I know you know this one. Yeah, that one's pretty familiar. Yeah, over in Medina County. Well, it was originally called Wilson's Corners for the Wilson brothers who settled there. But the postmaster general wouldn't approve Wilson as a name for the post office. So they looked at the swampy land with its dismal appearance and thought, gee, this uh, really looks like the mythological river to hell. (laughs) (laughs) They named their river's dick. One last one for you, Steve. Sodom. Oh. Who in their right mind names their town right. Sodom? Get this story. This is in Trumbull County. It said there was a temperance crusade there in 1840 when a minister gave this fire and brimstone lecture. And when the congregation gave him a less than enthusiastic reception, he jokingly called the community Sodom, as in the sinful cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible. Now, that was something the community could get excited about, because after he called them that, they adopted the name. Oh, man. (laughs) That sucks a lot. Well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world from forgotten figures to overlooked events. 
And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.